0: Welcome to Healthy Habits Happy Moms Radio, where we are all about helping you find balance in food, fitness, and family 365 days a year with your hosts, Jennifer Campbell, Lauren Koski, and Annie Breeze. Hey everyone, a few weeks ago on our podcast, Jen, Lauren, and I discussed a sensitive topic at the request of some of our members, which was a big picture discussion on the implications of Weight Watchers free teen membership coming out in the summer of 2018. At the end of the episode, we promised a follow up because we didn't want to leave you with more questions than answers. Today's episode is about what to do as opposed to what not to do. We're going to be sharing some simple, healthy, evidence-based guidelines for how to approach feeding your children and make meal times less stressful. In addition to that, I want to add that we will have a guide you can download at the end of this episode. Print it out, stick it on your fridge, and it will always be handy when you need to troubleshoot at meal and snack times. We will be linking to that in the show notes. Enjoy! Lauren and Jen, how are you?
1: Good. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you?
2: <laughs> it's, like we're, it's like we're shouting at each other over cell phones that don't have very much coverage. I know you just, how are you?
0: you just, I'm yelling at you. You're yelling at me. We're just so excited to be
2: here. So
0: Lauren, you're good. Jen, how are you?
2: <laughs> I'm good, too. Not oh, as what good in- as Lauren, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what an intro. Man, who came out with some gusto on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good podcast. Absolutely it is. We've got a really good topic. Um, Lauren, you have kind of taken the reins on this one, but what's been happening is women in our Balance 365 program, which if you're new to our community, if you're new to our podcast, it's our habit, nutrition Behavior Change Coaching Program, Um, we have over a thousand members, uh, women working through our program at this time, and what we've been hearing from them is they want to take a lot of the principles we have given to them in regards to their nutrition, exercise, and behaviors, and they want to apply it to their families, and so what's been coming up a lot is... uh, how do I take what I've learned and apply it to our family? And that's become a really hot topic for us, especially uh, with the news of the Weight Watchers launching its teen program. Families and feeding our families, feeding our children uh, is uh, getting a lot of attention right now. Right, Lauren?
1: Yes. And um, so we recorded about that on our last podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, I would listen to that first. Um, And so in that podcast, we went into – children and dieting and Weight Watchers and impacts that that could have. And then we ran out of time. So in this podcast, we want to talk more about, okay, well, if I don't do that, well, what can I do?
0: Yeah, because, I mean, why, why do we need help feeding our children?
1: Well, it's confusing,
0: <laughs> I mean, I know, right? the, I know the answer, I mean, but yeah, it is. It's overwhelming. There's so much information, and there's so much shame, and there's judgment, and um, good, bad morals around feeding our children. That it is, it can be uh, complex and overwhelming and confusing.
1: Yeah, and it's also a really emotional topic. So our emotions sometimes get the best of us, and we are not sure where to turn. And so we really wanted to just give like a simple um, just kind of evidence-based approach that you can use, um, to feel good about feeding your
2: children. Right on. I think that's a great topic. Jen, what do you think? I think this all sounds good and I'm really excited to hear what Lauren has to say. Yeah.
0: So Lauren, you, you go ahead, Jump. let's dive right in, lead us, show us the way, Lauren. <laughs>
1: All right. <laughs> so um, when I was doing research, I actually used the principles that Ellen Satter teaches. And I think Jen um, introduced me to Ellen Satter years ago. Um, but I've recently um, dived, dove. Dove. <laughs> <laughs> dove in, I, Delved. How about delved? delved. <laughs> yeah. I've recently Delved. <laughs> further into her research. And so I've been going deeper and, um, I'm, it's really kind of a, a different approach than most people use, but it's evidence-based. She cites a lot of research. And, um, for those of you who don't know who she is or haven't heard of her, she is a registered dietitian, a family therapist, and she likes to say that enjoyment is the key to good health. Um, and if you're not eating joyfully, nutrition suffers. And so I've really just found her a great resource, and that's who I'll be citing a lot in the podcast. Well, and, and that's also I'll go ahead. Yeah,
0: Lauren, the reason why you started researching this is, like I said, women wanted to apply the principles to our of our program to their family. But you are actually working on launching or addi- a, a, an addition to our program called Feeding Our Families or Feeding Your Families. Correct. That's that's kind of what kicked all of this yes. off for the for about ba- yes. for Balance Three Sixty Five.
2: I think what was happening was um, because women are so confused about nutrition, and um we you know we're a habit-based nutrition program, and we provide guidelines, not rules. But what would happen was women would take these guidelines, read them, they would make so much sense, they would start implementing them, and then they would say, so I'm trying to get my kid on this schedule too. And we would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this, you know, how children eat and how we feed them is they have different requirements than adults. So let's, um, so we, you know, because we basically serve moms, I would say we do have some non-moms who, um, join our program and our community, but the majority of people that we serve are moms. And we realized that it, it's, probably very important that we address this issue within our program so that we don't have you know a bunch you know like we don't have that thing going on where mom goes on weight watchers and then puts her kid on weight watchers and you know what I mean like it's just not um, yeah people need to understand that children need to be fed differently they have different requirements and um, we see a lot of children being put on diets and we know how harmful that is. So we really need to, um, and even just getting, having their diet controlled can be extremely harmful. So we wanted to provide these guidelines.
1: Yeah. And we, um, a lot of the principles do apply from Balance 365, but in Balance 365, we give um, like portion guides and how to figure out what what amounts to eat for yourself and how to get back in touch with your hunger and satiety. And the thing is, you can't control your kids' portions. And so that's kind of where the confusion came about. Like, how do I know how much to feed my kids? Do I follow these principles when feeding my kids, um, et cetera? And so we really wanted to kind of clear that up. And we thought it would make a great podcast too. So, Absolutely. Um, do you guys want to talk about the division of responsibility?
0: Yes, uh this is really kind of new information. This is like information that um I haven't really been exposed to. So I am super excited to hear what you found. So tell me, yes, tell me the division of responsibility. Okay. I want to hear it.
1: Okay, so basically there's a division of responsibility between feeding and eating. So parents are responsible for what, when, and where. Um, and children are responsible for how much and whether they eat. And so I can hear people when they're listening to this, like, what do you mean? Like if I don't make my kid eat, they're not gonna eat, right? Like a lot of times we get into forcing our kids to eat at meals. Um, so Annie, what are your thoughts? I'm just hearing Um
0: that. Yeah, that's uh so parents are responsible for the what, when and where. So the what is what you're actually putting on their plate.
1: Yeah. So let's get into like the parents feeding jobs more. So um, choosing and preparing food would go under the parents feeding job. So you get to choose, you know, the meal plan and exactly what is offered. Um, and then the children decide when or I'm sorry, how much and whether to eat.
0: Okay. So you're you're saying that Ellen Satter is a um, supporter of letting your kids uh, choose their portion size. Correct. That is not something that the parent should be regulating.
2: Correct. And okay. that's because we are all born with um, the ability to self-regulate our food. And we know in adults that um, a lot of people have lost that um, or don't listen to their body signals or can't. Um, but the reason that many adults get to that space is because of how um, heavily controlled or regulated their diets were as children. Um, and research shows that people whose um, diets are controlled or restricted, they, they actually aren't in tune with their hunger and satiety the same way um, people who have had no restrictions on their food are.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then so the next um, parent, quote unquote, feeding job is to provide regular meals and snacks. So in Balance 365, one of our main habits is three to four meals. And so similar to that, having set structured meals and snacks allows your child to be hungry at mealtime and then actually eat at mealtime. And so um, most children do well with three meals, and then two to three snacks, depending on, you know, age, activity, timing. Um, but I used to be in the camp of just kind of letting my daughter graze throughout the day. And um, when I did that, I just found that she would come to meals not hungry. And so she wouldn't eat her meal. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, she'd be like, I'm hungry, right? So having that structure in place allows them to Behave better at the table because they're actually hungry, um, actually eat and be more in tune with those hunger and satiety signals. And what I found um, in the research is that children that seem to be compulsive eaters or overeat um, more than likely aren't sure when they're going to be fed. So, same with a- dieters and adults, uh, that's self imposed. But um, for kids, like whether it's um, You know, they're not sure when they're going to be fed because of money issues or because parents are trying to control their weight or there's just no set schedule. When they do have free reign, they will overeat because they're not sure when they're going to be eating again. So that's why the structure in the meals um, Ellen Satter has as an important principle.
0: Which is something we see in adult women. Even uh, pretty frequently, and we talked about that on our Weight Watchers podcast. That Mm -hmm. uh, as adults, we're self-restricting; we're we're self-imposed restriction. We go on a diet. We say all these foods are off limits, or we're going to limit our portion size or uh, our intake. And then when we inevitably fall off the diet, we just eat all the foods. And there's that pendulum just swings can swing from back and forth, back to forth. But it's the same thing happens in children.
2: Yes. Totally. And, and it's not its not like people are consciously thinking, you know, or children or adults, they're not consciously thinking, I don't know when I'm going to eat again. It's just sort of these systems we have in our bodies that... It's innate. You know, yeah, it's innate. Yeah. It's a survival mechanism. So um, they will be, you know, it's just happening unconsciously. And we, we see this in women a lot. <laughs> and uh, you sort of unconsciously lose a bit of control, but also keeping in mind that, um, if you're a dieter or have been restricted your whole life from food, your satiety signals might not be the same as somebody who wasn't restricted. Right. Um, so they just keep eating cause they actually aren't satisfied. Like they actually don't feel satisfied.
1: And, um, so I'm going to go quickly through the rest of the parents feeding jobs. Cause I don't want to take I know there's a lot to cover. Um, so if you're interested in this, um, we can recommend some books and websites in the show notes where you can learn more. But um, So the next couple are of the parents' feeding jobs are uh, make eating times pleasant, show children what they need to learn about food and mealtime behavior. Um, we already covered this one, but do not let children graze for food or beverages between meal and snack times. Um, grazing makes it harder for your child to eat the right amount for their needs. And then the last one is let children grow up to get the bodies that are right for them. And I think this is a big one, especially in our our society, our diet culture. Um, So really your child's genetics dictate many of their characteristics. And it also dictates um, their appetite and the body type that they're going to get. And so we often get into the trap of trying to force them to be smaller or bigger, you know, whether they're on the small side or the big side and it backfires and um, so really just trying to letting feeding them well and letting them grow up to have the body that they're going to have
2: their natural like what we say often in balance 65 is finding their natural body weight
1: yeah and yeah. i know it, it's hard for parents sometimes to just sit back and just let that happen but um, kind of interfering in that causes more harm than good oftentimes
2: it's interfering in their eating behaviors that is causing, um, either them to become, um, larger or fatter than their natural body weight, um, or to develop whether it's disordered eating behaviors or full-on clinical eating disorders.
0: hmm And I was just going to add that I think part of that as an adult, as a parent, is, um, you know, applying that same philosophy to ourselves. Like I can diet as much as I want. I am not going to have a body that looks like Jennifer's. Like I'm just not going to have these long, lean arms and legs. And, um, so just applying that same, uh, thought to your own body as well as your children, like, hey, we can all have different bodies, or this is just how my body's meant to be. And, you know, I can maybe be a little bit, there's a range in there, a little bit smaller, a little bit bigger. But for the most part, um, you know, my thighs are big, my shoulders are broad, and, uh, and no diet is gonna change that. And trying to control right. that can be really detrimental to our physical health and our
2: emotional health and our children's physical and emotional health. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about this in the Hillary McBride podcast. Um, It was uh, the one on mothers, daughters, and body image. Um, One of the biggest issues for parents in approaching how they feed their children um, and how they view their children's bodies is um, accepting their children's bodies for what they are. Their children may not have bodies that... um, they had hoped, which I know is like really awkward to talk about, but um, I have three boys and they have very different body types. My youngest is about to surpass my middle son in growth and weight. And, you know, we talk about the body ideal for women being lean, while the body ideal for boys is, you know, to be big and strong. And We can see that our middle son, he's going to be small and, um, but we have to accept him for who he is. I mean, we can't change that about him and we need to work on making him secure in who he is, um, and not be trying to, you know, change his body. And so Lauren, what I'm hearing you say is that,
0: um, our suggestion is in Jen's case, with her son isn't to overfeed him, isn't to try to beef him up and get him big. It's, it's to say, hey, this is what it is. And, and this is okay. And we're still going to f- feed him well for his body.
1: Yeah. And it's really, um, trusting your children to decide for themselves and to know that they know how much they need to eat for their body.
0: No, that's hard, Lauren. no. <laughs> That's that's really difficult. I mean, even as a mom, it's like, you know, sometimes you're sitting down for a meal and you can just see them maybe not eating. And it's like, but I need you to eat because I don't want you to be hungry later because we've got this and this and this and this and this and going on. So it's, you know, these are things for us really easy to say on a podcast, but as moms, we know they're much harder or can be much harder to implement with
2: children. Yeah.
1: And it takes time too. if you're, if you're not used to feeding this way, it takes time to kind of get used to it as well. And for your kids to get used to it too.
2: Absolutely. Right. Cause you, you've had to transition, transition into it, Lauren. And then we'll, we'll talk about this later, but I've had to transition into a different way of feeding my kids because of I used to be very controlling, and there was basically a trust breakdown between me and my kids. My kids didn't trust me to (laughs) to to feed them. No, they they just you know there was a trust breakdown. They didn't really believe when I started letting go of the reins. um, They didn't. There was just no trust there, and we had to rebuild that.
1: Yeah, it's the same when you stop dieting, right? You have you kind of go through this phase of like I need to eat all the things because someone's going to take it away. Yeah, again. exactly. And it's the exact same. So, um, let's get into the children's eating jobs. Um, so children will eat the amount they need. Um, you don't need to push or restrict a child's food. Um, again, we just talked about this. The same way, you know, you're learning to. People in our program are learning how. to to eat again using their hunger and satiety cues, um, children have those cues as well. And then this is an interesting one when I found when I was reading um, Ellen Satter's material is they will eat an increasing variety of food, which I know a lot of moms are worried, you know, their children are only ever going to eat chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese. <laughs> but um, I wanted to talk about this because a child learning to like a food doesn't look like a child learning to like a food. So like it takes them a long time and it's all a process for them. So like they may watch you eat a certain food for weeks before they touch it, but it's like their mind is turning. They're they're getting used to that food and then they might put it in their mouth and spit it out and then eventually they'll swallow it and eventually they'll learn to like it. So I just kind of want to reassure everyone that that's normal behavior and you might think like, your child's never going to eat a piece of broccoli, but if you kind of sit back and just keep putting the broccoli, you know, there. in the meal selection, yeah, eventually no pressure, they will try it. Yeah, yeah no pressure. So I would compare backfires.
2: I would compare this to when we lived in Australia. Um, my husband could not wait to try kangaroo. Like you can buy it at the grocery store. What? It's really weird. <laughs> I know they eat kangaroo in Australia, oh. and he was and he really likes trying local cuisine. I do not. I am, you know, a creature of habit. I have my, like, foods that I like, and I, I feel really nervous of for, um foreign foods. And uh, especially meat, because, you know, different cultures eat different things. Like, our Indian friends eat goat. They love goat. When they can't buy goat at a grocery store, which they usually can't overseas, um, they will buy a goat and butcher it and get the meat made up like they just love goat. (laughs) So anyways so just really put yourself in your in your kids shoes and think of something that really turns you off and then imagine someone sitting you down like my husband cooked kangaroo I remember the smell of it cooking was turning my stomach and I was like you know and I was already worked up in my head about it like oh my god you're gonna get kangaroo you're gonna cook it and then I could smell it cooking and I was like (laughs) and and, uh (laughs) Hopefully no one's eating right now. And then him and my son, my oldest son, they sat down and ate the kangaroo and really enjoyed it. And I didn't touch it. And there was no pressure for me to touch it. Um, However had someone sat me down and trying, you know, trying to force me to eat it, my gag reflex probably would have gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. And I would have developed, you know, an even larger aversion to it. Um, I never did eat kangaroo in Australia, (laughs) never had the desire, never developed it. But I imagine if I was sitting down to a meal of kangaroo three nights a week with no pressure to try it, eventually I might, you know, it might be baby steps like, Oh, okay, I'll just try a little bite maybe I'll put yeah. some in my mouth, see how it tastes, spit it out. That kind of thing. So that's what we're getting at. It would just try to put yourself in your kid's shoes and broccoli might not taste the same to them as it does to you. Well,
0: and aside from the pressure of eat the kangaroo, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, you would just start to associate this like frustration and this sense of like anger and like, you're just, you know, it's just, it's just, a, it could turn into a really frustrating experience if you just sit down and you force your kid to eat something. In fact, we had a, we had a plumber at our house yesterday and, uh, Blair was eating my daughter, my youngest daughter was almost two was eating a Brussels sprout and the plumber, um, she was like, I cannot stand Brussels sprouts. My mom used to feed me Brussels sprouts all the time. And, you you know, the same story. She used to force, force, force me to eat them and I couldn't stand them. And now she, as an adult, she just can't stand Brussels sprouts. Like had the experience been a little bit more pleasant, like, Hey, these are here. You can try it if you want. If not, no pressure. I'm going to keep putting them in front of you, but, um, this is, this is your choice. Uh, it might've been a different story.
1: My parents used to force me to eat canned green beans when I was younger, and I will never in my life touch a green bean again, and, you know, I might like them had I not had that pressure.
2: My mom, she was, I remember her, we never had liver growing up, like, thank God, but she she was forced to eat liver as a child, and I remember hearing all these stories and knew she would never serve us liver, and, you know, she would share the same thing. When, when I smell it cooking, I always start gagging, and... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, this stuff's really real. Sorry, I keep saying gagging. I like talking about (laughs) gagging and making the noises. But I wanted to share how I have gotten my kids um, just an example of this real life is that um, I often make trays of roasted vegetables like a batch cook. And, you know, they last us two or three days. And it's usually a different variety of vegetables. And, you know, we'll often have like some Brussels sprouts, broccoli, and then, you know, maybe some squash or whatever else. And um, so I bring them to the table and my kids know that there is no um, pressure to try it. And the other thing is I don't praise them if they, if they eat it. Like, I'm not like, yay, you're a good boy because you eat broccoli. Um, What I do praise them on is trying something new, even if they don't like it. So the very first time, my middle son is my most picky eater, and the very first time he tried a piece of Brussels sprout, it just happened to be one of those meals where, same as always, I brought out that tray of um, vegetables, and um, his brothers were trying different things, and we were just having fun, like laughing and... um, I, you know, I kind of dared them to try it and um, so they were and they were laughing and some spitting some out. So my middle son, he put a Brussels sprout in his mouth and he chewed it up a little bit and then ended up spitting it out and I just made a big deal out of the fact that he tried it. That's so cool, but that's okay. You didn't like it. You you know, you've found something new. You don't like those, you know, right now. Um. So yeah, we just sort of, I just, you know... This was not me four years ago. I've done a 180 around feeding my kids. Um, But the environment is so much less stressful for them that they're trying more things. And it's a lot less stressful for me as a parent to feel like, my kids have to eat this stuff right now or mm-hmm. they're going to develop these deficiencies or whatever. Like you just, now I actually know I'm do. I know I'm doing the right thing and I know the path that I've chosen to take um, is unconventional, but I have seen the research. I know about the long-term studies and I know that this is um, the best way to raise my kids to be competent eaters that actually do enjoy a variety of foods.
1: Yeah, and I think you brought up um, a good point in that example too, is that kids will often be more adventurous eaters if you give them an out. So if you say like, you know, you can always spit something out if you don't like it and not make a big deal about it and not say like, you have to eat this and swallow it. Um, Cause they always know that they have an out and they won't have to swallow it if they try it.
2: Right. Yeah. Um,
1: and then along those same lines, also children's eating behaviors are just erratic in general. And I think it's important to know that that's normal Um, so like loving a food one day and hating it the next uh, is normal, even though it's really frustrating for us. Like as a parent, it's super frustrating, but that's a normal behavior of children. And also not eating all of the food groups on the plate. Usually they'll only eat a couple out of what's offered. So like they might only eat milk and vegetables for like five days in a row. And then they might switch and just eat like bread and cheese and milk. And that's also really normal. So even though it doesn't look like Maybe they're eating balanced meals. Usually, the big picture over a couple of weeks, it does balance out. So, um, if I feel you don't, like you just described me, Lauren. <laughs> Children and Annie, it's normal. Children <laughs> and 30,
0: 34 four four year old adult women who eat yeah. turkey and Brussels sprouts every night for dinner. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: think I
2: think it's really, what I like. I think it's really important to do that zoom out picture. That just because they only want pasta with melted cheese on it for supper, instead of the sauce with all the vegetables that you made. I mean, this, you know, this happens to me all the time too. I cook these well-balanced meals for my children that have, you know, vegetables and whatever else. and, And then they, no, I just want pasta with cheese on top. And they don't want this beautiful sauce I made. And I just say, okay um but that you know my kids are choosing a variety of foods at all their meals so rather than picking apart you know focusing in on every each meal at a time to like zoom out and look at their their overall diet as a whole
0: mm-hmm. well and i think to lauren um what you said earlier about the division of responsibilities that um you can put the what on their, on their plate, but their responsibility is how much and whether or not they eat it. That kind of takes some of the pressure off of parents' shoulders. Like yeah. you can, you can relax a little bit. Like this isn't your job to regulate that. Um, you did your job. You put it out there. If they choose not to eat it, then that's their choice. And and you yeah. don't have to yeah. feel responsible for that. Yeah.
2: The other thing um, I wanted to mention as far as realistic timelines every kid is going to be different, but we had a woman post um, in Healthy House Happy Moms a couple days ago. Her name's Joelle, and she's been in our community a really long time, but she posted because she just wanted to share that she's at the point where her kids are enjoying a wide variety of vegetables, and um, two years ago, they were so picky, but she just kept offering it um, up, and so for her, the timeline was two years. And I think that's important to put things into perspective that Mm -hmm. this, this is just a process and one day, um, it might click for you that, oh my goodness, they, they're, you know, they're eating two more vegetables than they were six months ago, but you just, it's just a process.
1: Yeah. And you know, when I was a kid, I didn't like Brussels sprouts, but no one ever forced me to eat Brussels sprouts. Now I eat Brussels sprouts almost every day. I love them. Right. So they will learn to like things and, you know, learn to like more sophisticated things besides hot dogs.
2: Right. And your palate, I think, changes as you get older. And also remember that um, breast milk is sweet. So if we aren't supposed to crave sweet things, then why is breast milk sweet, right? Right.
1: Um, The next children's job is they will grow predictably. And so I think it's important to know, I don't want to go into it here. We talked about it a little bit um in the last episode, the last podcast, and I dive deeper into it in the Feeding Your Family section of Balance 365. But it's important to know how to read your child's growth chart and what the percentiles mean when you're at the doctor's and they say, you know, your child is at so and so percentile. Um we don't have enough time now, but it's important to know that and um, just because they're a high or low percentile doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. Right. Um, the next one is that they will learn how to behave well at the table. So if they come to the table hungry, if they're not grazing all day, I've found this with my daughter too, um, they'll behave better at the table. They eat at the table because they come to the table hungry instead of grazing all day. Um, Yeah. Do you guys have any experience uh, with
2: that? Well, I just wanted to add that when you're hungry, you're more likely to um, not just like sit and eat, but um, food will taste better. Like you're more likely to try different um, variety of food. Totally.
1: And so basically that's the end of the quote unquote parent and children jobs, but it's, it's important to find the middle ground. So you want to be supportive without controlling, um, give autonomy without being neglectful. And it's, it's easy to say, but it's, it's hard to find the middle ground. Like it's much easier to gravitate towards one of the extremes, you know, either being controlling about feeding or just kind of not giving any structure. Um, the hard part is finding the balance.
2: Yeah, because... As with your eating, too. Yeah, I mean, the the thing with hunger is that, um, you know, so many emotions, past experiences, history all come into play, and we hear the wildest stories in Balance 365, you know, women who were put on diets from eight years old and have memories of their moms um, refusing to give them food, um, and they'd be hungry and their mom would refuse it. And we have to understand that 30 years ago, that's what women thought was you know, the right thing to do, mm-hmm. um, whether they're being told by their doctor or whatever to restrict their children's, um, food. And so there's just so much that goes into that. When a child comes to you 30 minutes after eating a meal and says, I'm hungry. You just feel like, well, I, you know, gotta feed them. Where are transitioning to this, to meal times, um, as we mentioned, um, when you feed your kids is important. Um, it might be a process, but, um, like you can get there, and then sort of like really assessing like is your child hungry? Can you give them like something small till the next meal? How long till the next meal? And um, yeah, so for us, um, I if we're close to a you know a meal, and because we we do three meals and two snacks, so my kids know it's like breakfast, morning snack, lunch, afternoon snack, supper, and bed. We don't do a nighttime snack. I know a lot of families do. Um, but, um, you know, like if, if it's like 30 minutes till supper, like my kids aren't having anything, but if my son comes to me and there's an hour and a half until supper, then I might, um, you know, give him like something small to tide him over till supper. Um, yeah, again, because I've experienced the whole breakdown of trust thing. I like, for me, I really need my kids to trust me that I'm, because I know when they trust me, they're, you know. When they trust me, then they know I'm going to take care of these needs and um and even cravings, and um they're more likely to develop a healthy relationship with food okay.
0: and this is um this is sounds eerily similar to sometimes what we' tell women to do to find their hunger and fullness cues about like reverse engineering meals. Um, these aren't principles that you can just like, okay, day
2: one, we're going all in. Yeah. Um, because right. everyone will or be your grumpy. your kid will feel like they're on a diet. Yeah. yeah your kid will yeah. feel like you're putting them on a diet. So you do have to transition into it. I don't, we rarely have problems now between meal times because now my kids know what to expect mm-hmm. because I've spent time building back, you know, trust with them. Um, you know, they know, you know, and like, you know, if I'm a little bit late on snack time, they're they're coming to me, going for snack time. And, you know, they know and their bodies know, Yeah, you know, and their bodies are getting hungry at that time. Absolutely. And sometimes you might not be hungry at
0: convenient times. Like it's just, you know, like at at a snack time, at a meal plan or at a meal time. And um, if that's happening on a consistent basis and it's inconvenient for your family, how you can kind of work backwards from that instead of just saying, no, cold turkey, we said this is not snack time. This is not meal time. You don't get to eat. That That's not we're, what we're proposing.
1: Right. And then, so there's other considerations too, besides just um, the division of responsibilities, the different jobs. And one of those is family meals. And so I really want to read a quote um, from Al, one of Ellen Satter's books here um, that I think is really powerful. So she says, "'Children do better when they spend time with their parents "'and when they have a strong sense of family.' Key to that connection is the family meal. Study after study shows that when teens have regular family meals, five or more times per week, they achieve more and behave better. Time spent with families at meals is more related to the psychological and academic success of adolescents than time spent in school, studying, church, playing sports, or doing art activities. Teens who had regular meals with a parent were better adjusted emotionally and socially, had better grades, and went further in school. They had lower rates of alcohol use, drug use, early sexual behavior, and suicide risk. The results applied for children of all ages, races, and ethnic groups, as well as for those who had parents of all levels of education, ages, employment, income, and family structure. The results were the same for single parent, two parent, and extended family homes. So it's like, whoo, like family meals, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. So I would just want to say that it's not realistic for me to have family meals every single evening. Um right. my kids are in sports and we're just heading into soccer season right now. So I have we have soccer five evenings a week during um until the end of June. So um and a lot of it overlaps with uh, dinner time so I'm often taking sandwiches to the soccer field with me so I just want to say like as everybody knows if they've been in our community for any amount of time we are all about the all or something not the all or nothing and just doing the best you can with what you have so um, the way like, brec- like, like breakfast is crazy for most families Um, just getting kids ready out the door or whatever and my kids all eat together, and we usually have, you know, toast, eggs, oatmeal, cereal, Um, but I try to make sure we, we don't sit down at the table, but the kids sit at the island, and um, I'm sort of cleaning up breakfast while they're eating, while they're eating, like, you know, I'm just trying to do my best, and sometimes supper is eating at the island, sometimes it's eating in the car, sometimes it's, you know, a picnic at the soccer field. Um, but I'm just doing my best. And as long as I'm mindful and I have that information that family meals are really important, I can uh, make it work for us when it does. Well, and I think that's, um, that
0: cause I'm, I'm in a similar boat, Jen. I mean, we have kids activities, but I also, I work, um, a handful of evenings, um, In the gym, training clients, and um, I think when I hear that, I I get like I have a lot of guilt around it. Like, oh, I I, like I cannot do that. But I often forget that like meals don't have to mean dinner. Like it could be breakfast. It could be Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It could be a snack, snack, it could be lunch, Um, it could be on the weekends, it could be during the week, Um, and also, um, I don't eat with my kids, and um, (laughs) I just don't, like, I don't, we, it was a habit we started when our kids were really little, we would just, you know, kids go to bed so early that we would just prefer to eat our dinner a little bit later, but I could still sit down with them. I could still be in the kitchen, I could still be at the table, even though I'm not, like, maybe sharing a meal with them, I can still, you know be with them. Like so that's kind of like my all or something. Like I can't I'm not all in all the time, but I can contribute something.
2: Yeah. And just make it count when you're doing it. If you can do if you can do dinner with your kids two nights a week, just make it count. Just be like mindful of that. Just say, hey, this counts. And I'm gonna sit down because I have the time right now. We're gonna do that. I'm gonna, we're gonna work on manners, we're going to talk about our days, we're gonna connect over a meal. Um, and I'm yeah, going to let so that be enough. Do the best you like can my, that's you my best and my yes. best is going to be enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So
1: definitely apply the good, better, best principle here. It's really, I don't think it's very, very rare. I would think for a family to be able to sit down for dinner every night or, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but, um, just putting in some effort where you can is going to be beneficial, even if it's not every day or, you know, every meal. Um, so as far as snacks, I want to make sure we touch on the fact that obviously kids need snacks. They're still growing. And what we'd recommend is planned sit-down snacks as much as possible. Again, good, better, best. It's not always going to be possible. Um, but what we want to avoid is getting into the grazing between meals as a snack instead of having a sit-down snack. And again, I used to do this um, with Elliot. I kind of just... You know, we would have meals, but snack time would just kind of be grazing, and um, planned sit-down snacks are going to help them um, tune into their appetite the best, which is kind of what we're going for here, for them to know when they're hungry and when they're full. Um, And then it's also important to note that a snack isn't a reward for eating well or, like, to coerce them into eating their meal. Like if you don't finish your meal, you don't get your snack. Like snack is, it just is like, it's not, it's a meal. It's a meal. It's a like, meal. They get yeah. it whether they eat their last meal or not. Yeah. Um, and then I have some guidelines. If you guys think that would be helpful because, um, I know parents are sometimes get a little bit overwhelmed on the what, like what to feed their kids and what to offer. um, do you guys have any input before we go into that? Nope. go go for it. Okay, so I am, again, using um, Ellen Satter's information here. So the basic meal guidelines that she offers um, in her books and also on her website. Um, she has a ton of free stuff at Ellen Satter Institute. I think it's .org. Um, so first you're going to want to make sure there's something on the table that Your child likes or recognizes. So, like Jen said, maybe not like liver and Brussels sprouts. (laughs) We have to work up doing. What is this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, really, like we said before, adjusting your expectations. They're not going to eat everything on the table, they're not going to um, like everything every time, and that's okay. But as far as what to put on the table, um, you can plan about four to five foods, which Sounds like a lot until you actually um, look at some examples. So a protein source, a carbohydrate source, um, you know, bread, rice, potatoes, pasta, a fruit or vegetable or both, and then at least one fat source, butter, cheese, salad dressing, sauces, and a source of calcium like milk. So... You can make this, it sounds kind of daunting when you read it like that, but you can make it really simple. So like cereal would be your starch or your grain, whole milk and blueberries. That includes everything i listed, even though like that seems really simple and what I listed seems daunting. Um, Or like toast and butter, yogurt,
2: banana. My kids do best with simple meals, honestly, when I bring out, like we eat really simply. Someone was asking me the other day about my meals and I'm like, some of our suppers look like picnics because I'm just sort of grabbing, like, you know, sometimes I'm cutting, like cutting up fruit, um, is, can be one of our sides at supper time. Um, so Mm -hmm. I might have like some fruits, I might have my veggie tray out, um, and then have our protein. Um, and another thing I do because, um, adults, you know, seem to like a wider variety of foods. And so, my kids do not like squashes or potatoes at all. Actually, it was just this year that one of my sons has started eating potatoes. Um, but I often will batch cook um, on Sunday like a big bowl of pasta, so like macaroni or something like that. And I'll bring that out on the table because sometimes I like to eat potatoes. Um, and now my other, you know, my oldest son is starting to try it. Um, so but I always have like that pasta. like I know they like it. They love it, yeah. and I'll always have that pasta available to them to choose as an option.
1: Yeah, so there's always something there that they like. Yeah, because I
2: think thinking about creating these meals with five different things, you know, um, every single night is daunting and feels stressful, mm-hmm. but um, what we talk about in Balance 365 and Healthy of a Tappy Moms, a lot is um, preparing things in advance, like doing different batch cook it cook, cooking of different things, when you can, or, you know, if you're making a meal, say you're having pasta for dinner, like cook twice the amount of pasta and just put half, you know, straight into the fridge for future meals or lunches or whatever. So.
1: Yeah. And another good tip that I picked up, um, is that you can serve deconstructed meals. So if you're, um, if your kid doesn't like spaghetti, like you can serve the pasta, and then the sauce on the side and the meat on the side. Or instead of tacos, you can kind of put them in little bowls and just, um, you know, kids are, a lot of them don't like constructed meals or like, you know, even salad. Like you can put the meat separate from the lettuce and, um, and they can build their own. that's totally fine yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I find that fun as an adult. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: A little bit of this, a little bit Again. of that. <laughs> kids were Annie. (laughs) Yeah. So one of my, two of my sons love pasta sauce and the other one used to like pasta sauce, but he's off it right now. So I'll put, um, pasta and I'll put cheese in a bowl and then I'll put pasta Mm -hmm. sauce out and the two have everything. And my youngest son does pasta and cheese. That is his thing right now. And I get a little twitchy watching it, but I just like, like, I just keep, I know it's the right thing to do. Hands off. Don't. But I mean, internally I'm twitching a little bit, but anyways, I'm just letting it I happen. wonder
0: how many of, this is off topic. How many of our American listeners are, um, grinning about how many times Jen has said pasta. Pasta.
2: I love it. Pasta.
0: Okay. Sorry, Lauren. Keep going.
1: So, a big one that I think we need to address is treats because um, parents usually, I mean, you know, how do you handle treats, right? You don't want to, we don't want to restrict the treats, but we also don't want to give them free reign to eat nothing but Oreos all day long. So um, the suggestions around treats uh, that we have are don't set them up as forbidden, right? Because just as you as an adult, when you restrict something, you're just going to want it more. Um, And then don't allow unlimited access um, because if there's always, if you can always have as many cookies as you want, Annie, right? You're going to choose the cookies. Yeah. Yeah. So what we've done is making them kind of a routine part of meals and snacks. So um, every night at dinner, not every night, most nights at dinner, I'll include like a dessert item, just one serving, and I'll serve it with the meal. So, um, she can eat it first, she can eat it later, she can eat it in the middle of her meal. It's not so much that it's going to kind of overtake her meal, but she gets a dessert, you know, pretty regularly. And then sometimes for snacks, we'll just have cookies. Um, you know, and that's okay too. And again, it's not every day, it's not every snack. Um, but kind of thinking about how you can incorporate them regularly so that they're, they're not forbidden. Um, but also include, obviously, other
2: food groups. Also, parents need to understand this is a transition. And when you first start offering your kids um, sweet foods, like treats, with their meals, they're always going to choose to eat that treat first. They're going to be so excited. Yeah. So you have to understand that's a transition. And, um, just like it's a transition in adults to get away from, you know, kind of like binge eating and overeating, um, their favorite foods when they're allowed access to them, they're going to see the same thing in kids. Yeah. And I
1: thought we could give, um, maybe Jen, you could share what you did this year at Halloween with your kids. Okay. So Um, I think that's a great (laughs) example of kind of how, how things balance out, um, when you've Restricted a little bit in the past.
2: Okay, so I used to be the worst, and I was very restrictive with my kids' diets. And whenever we went to people's houses or whatever, they would, like, beeline for all the treats. Um. Anyways, so as I started implementing healthier food guidelines in my household, um, my kids did go a little nutty at first, especially my oldest. Um, he was for when i started implementing this stuff and again like it's a process to transition your children to this style of eating it was a process for me to let go so you know it's just kind of happened gradually over the years so one of my big triggers used to be halloween and i used to do the whole like you know we you know first of all complaining about halloween and you know like it's the worst holiday ever because of all this candy lots of that being my issue because i couldn't handle having candy in the house Um, but I started implementing these rules and the first Halloween that I allowed my son the, so the first night, the first two nights, um, after Halloween, so Halloween night and the, and then November 1st, I guess he is allowed to go at it. (laughs) And so that I remember that very first night, okay, I'm doing this. We're getting home and he's eating. He's going to be allowed to eat um, until he doesn't want anymore. That was not something my son was used to. And, um, he was, couldn't even believe it. And he did, he ate and ate and ate and he got sick and threw up after. And I just, I, I sort of knew it might happen, but I also understand, um, that as far as eating goes part of the process of learning to be a competent eater is making mistakes and we have to let right. our kids make the mistakes and so i you know didn't shame him for it i observed it with him oh goodness like why do you think this is <laughs> and he's like i i ate way too many treats um and then i noticed the next night he went out the halloween candy again and um but he was a little more in control rather than sort of like binge eating. Um, And after those first two days, then I started offering candy with meals. Um, And he's eight now. So we've been doing that method of Halloween candy for four years. And now I'm finding that my kids um, the last couple years here, they forget about the candy. Like it's just where it used to be an obsession and eating it till it was done and a fight. It was always a fight between us. But again, I've had to build trust back up with my kids. And, um, now that they're, you know, now that they trust me, um, they don't fixate on it. It's not a fixation for them. And they, um, and yeah, I find that they forget about it. And like my son had a Slurpee the other day and because that's not um restricted. He drank the Slurpee till about three quarters and then he put it in the fridge to have some later and then he just totally forgot about it and I just tossed it that next day. We
0: see that um we see that's that's a phenomenon that's been that fixation on restrictive foods or foods that we say we can't have has been studied. And I think it's called the pink polar bear effect. I mean it, it applies to other things, but if I tell you to not think of a pink polar bear, what are you thinking of? That's all I right, can a, think of. A about. pink polar bear. Right. And the same same thing applies to adults as it does children. You know, you can't have that Halloween candy. All they want is a Halloween candy. And candy's good. Like, let's not like try it to is. pretend that candy and donuts don't taste yeah. yummy. So we
2: don't <laughs> wanna shame people for like enjoying things that are like naturally mm-hmm. enjoyable to us, sweet things. But the other thing I want to share is it okay, Lauren, if I share about my son sneaking and hiding food and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So children hoarding, sneaking, hiding food is actually a huge deal. Um, Once you get to that space, you really have to take a step back and assess, you know, what this issue is, because that can really spiral. Um, And that happened to us. So it was, you know, it's basically was sort of a pivotal time for me when I realized I really need to look at what I'm doing here. So Um, my son, I found a stash of pop in his room and like pop or soda is like, a huge trigger for a lot of women. Like I hear a lot of people talking about they don't even allow their kids to drink pop. We were at a barbecue this fall and I heard a mom like shouting at her daughter because she had grabbed a pop off the barbecue table which was available for everybody and her mom had said no to her um, that she couldn't have pop and then her daughter snuck it and then I heard her saying like, that is so bad. That is so bad. I can't believe you did that. And I was just like cringing, but also knowing that that was me several years ago. Um, anyways, I don't like tell people how to feed their kids. I definitely am like, I just observe. And if anybody wants to talk to me about it, I would share our experience with Sam. So, um, pop was something I, I never allowed, but once, you know, if we were, um, If we were at a movie or something, the kids would get a pop and they would like go crazy for it. It was the best thing they ever tasted. (laughs) And so um, we had um, uh, like a basement fridge where we kept sort of excess, you know, things like soda, like cans of soda or whatever and i didn't even know my son knew about it and i found this stash of soda there was like cans stacked up between his wall and his bookshelf just stacked up there was like 12 cans of pop empty and so i knew he the other thing is probably drinking them at night so after he's brushed his teeth and i put him to bed for the night he's grabbing sneaking out grabbing a can of soda for two and bringing it back to his room and drinking it um at 4 years old so um 4 to 5 he was in kindergarten so um so I saw that and your immediate feeling is like you want to get rid of all the pop in the house. This is unacceptable. You want to strict them restrict them more. But, you know, that was my internal struggle, but I knew realistically that I that, that was not the way to handle it and actually he needed access to pop in order to get over this hoarding thing. So I just started offering it to him more, which again was really hard for me as a former very restrictive eater, um, and a health conscious person. And I did see his pendulum swing. So like he wanted all of a sudden we were offering it to him and he was like a big yes every time. And he was drinking it all as fast as he could. And now we are a few years into this method of eating and my, we've built back, trust with our kids and pop is not a big deal in our family anymore because my son knows he's going to be either offered it to him or he knows there's times that a-okay like when we go out to restaurants the boys are allowed to order whatever they want including pop and it's not a big deal that is what we do um and just you know he doesn't ask for it regularly but like last Thursday night um we were all sitting down for dinner and he asked if he could have a ginger ale to drink and I Said, sure. And again, I still struggle with this stuff. Like, inside, I'm like, no, have milk, water. But but I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm All twitchy. Sure. Um, and I poured him in ginger ale. His two brothers... Um, you know, again, basically growing up in a different environment than their older brother because by the time they were getting older and developing and stuff, I we had changed our philosophies. So the brother still chose to have milk while their brother had ginger ale, and that's the end of it. So he had a ginger ale for dinner. It was a Thursday night. I didn't treat it even like a treat, like, oh, we only do this during movie night. He just had it, and we moved on with our lives, and he probably hasn't had a soda since. So, yeah, so it just kind of taken some time, but what the process for me was – um, saying, look, emotionally, I want to restrict pop from him when I found him hoarding it. But the logical side of me knows, no, he needs, um, it, he needs it offered to him more often so that he knows it's not a forbidden food. And he needs to know that he doesn't need to be ashamed. Um, we're not going to shame him for that choice or liking that food. We're going to, um, offer it to him more and let him know that like, you know, it's okay. It's a good, good experience for everyone. Yeah, it was a good experience. Yeah. And I know, I think, I don't think that, um, I don't think those guidelines were around 30 years ago. So we did have a lot of parents 30, 20, 10 years ago, even, um, doing the very restrictive thing. And we have women that share with us today all the time that that was what was going on in their house. And they hid food. They remember hiding food as a child, like under their beds. I um, had Oreos. Oreos in my bed. Did you?
0: Which is oh. like <laughs> the worst because then you have crummies and you're and yeah. <laughs> you're bed. Like I should have yeah. just gotten out and eaten them, but <laughs> anyways.
1: And again, we no judgment no at all. Judgment. Like we know everyone does the best that they can and
0: Yeah. Um, well, and and I know Lauren, you shared a message about uh, you know, some issues that you were having in your family like I know I've like we're we're in the process of kind of figuring stuff out as our kids evolve and get older and their tastes change and it's just it's a it really is a process it's not like you find a solution fix it and then it's perfect forever and ever it's just an an evolution
1: yeah and then um kind of the last thing i wanted to share before we wrap up is um, as your children grow right so like 0 to around 6 you're going to take care of all of the um, the food choices. But as they grow, you have to, you know, you have to start teaching them how to do things for themselves so that when they move out, they know how to feed themselves. Um, so Alan Satter gives some guidelines for ages. So from six to 11, um, is when you can kind of let your children start to help with, um, meal planning. So like they might request certain meals or they might want to, um, choose their own snack. And you can sort of work up to this. And I think different, you know, each child will be different as when they're able to, you know, choose their own snacks and help with food choices. Um, But one thing I wanted to definitely mention is that at this age, um, six to 11, Ellen Satter says that they cannot yet apply nutrition lessons to what they eat. So really avoid talking about specifics of nutrition. Um, And then this also applies to school nutrition education. Um, I know Jen has had an experience around this. I have now had an experience around this. And um, they do teach nutrition in schools at this age level. And really... Even the USDA food pyramid, which is, you know, a a balanced view of nutrition, it's still food rules. And at this age, they still see this as, okay, this is good and this is bad. And they don't have the ability to um, know the nuance of nutrition yet. And um, yes.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things we can do as parents and educators or healthcare professionals who are listening to our podcasts is check our own biases when it comes to uh, feeding, eating, weight body image, et cetera, when we're talking to our kids, because that all gets infused into the advice we give and how we talk about food. And really food should be a really neutral experience. And that's what I often share with women is that I have worked so hard over the last four years to make eating a neutral experience in my home. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. That's what we're working towards too. And it, it gets harder. Like as Elliot is getting older, like, you know, when she was a baby, I kind of didn't, I don't know. I didn't quite think about how I would handle all of this.
2: Right. You're lucky to be on it when they're so young, I guess. And the other thing too, about, you know, just a little bit back to treats is like, you know, there's all these different situations. Um, and we'll get into that, you know, we're going to be writing about this in blog posts and in our program and balance 365, but, um, you know, Again, coming back to you control what is offered to your kids and, and just try and start, you know, a way you can start implementing this is just like start offering the things you know they love with their meals, um, building back up that trust. You need to expect that their pendulum might swing a little bit as they're working to trust you again, just like our pendulum swing as we learn to not diet and restrict. Um, and just, it's a process, but it's a process that works. And I love when Lauren said in our last podcast, it is not a mystery anymore. Um, the consequences of how we feed our kids. Mm -hmm. Like we're 30 years ago, it was still a mystery and that's why they were, you know, being very restrictive and stuff, but it's not a mystery anymore. The research is all there. We know children whose food are restricted are more likely to become obese later in life or to develop eating disorders. All right.
0: That was a lot. We covered a lot there. We did. But yeah, um, we did. But we're going we're gonna to put a lot of good links in the show notes uh, so that you can do a little bit more research on your own if you want. Uh, you're more than welcome. We would love to have you in our community, our free private Facebook community if you aren't a part of it already. Um, we don't talk a lot about feeding kids, but we can give you some resources that can, um, if you need more information. So, um, but we would love to have you in there to continue the conversation. If you, uh, need some help, uh, it's healthy habits, happy moms on Facebook. Again, we've got almost 40,000 women, so it's pretty rad. I mean, we're in there. We think it's rad. (laughs) Um, yeah. And thanks ladies. This was fun. Yeah. I mean, as always. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. (laughs) Bye, Bye. Hey, Annie here. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we invite you to join our free 14 day Power Bowl challenge guaranteed to help you feel nourished, have more energy and learn health, wellness and fat loss strategies that actually work for busy moms. Inside the Power Bowl Challenge, you will find Power Bowl recipes that our members rave about, a meal prep guide, shopping lists, prizes, and access to our private Facebook community of over 35,000 busy women just like you who get it and are there to cheer you on. Sign up at PowerBowlChallenge.com today. And if you really like what you heard, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can keep bringing you amazing content. Thank you.